Hello and welcome to the latest Get German Football News podcast brought to you by the World Football Index. Once again, I'm joined by Matt Cowder to go through all the weekend's action as well as discussing Usman Dembele's eventual transfer to Barcelona. How are you doing today? Aside from uh, Arsenal, I can't really complain, but um, I expect you're probably feeling similar after the game at Anfield. Yeah, I mean, God knows what's happening there, but at least we have German football to watch anyway. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Friday night's fixture saw Cologne entertain Hamburg, and in the game that certainly provides goals, this one didn't disappoint. Summer arrival, Andre Hahn put the visitors in the lead midway through the first half before Bobby Wood doubled that just six minutes later. Cologne were handed a lifeline when Frederick Sorensen got a goal back in the 90th minute. Ultimately, it was Hamburg who were just too good on the night, with Lewis Hobby adding a third late on. For just less than 24 hours, Marcus Gisdol's side topped the Bundesliga for the first time in eight years. Matt, do you think we can expect this to continue given their good form towards the end of last season? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, two wins into obviously a cracking start for them. You know, they they were top at that point. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to see them um, stay there for the foreseeable future. But yeah, it's sort of like we were saying last week. They've got they've got the players to make it a very interesting campaign for them. Obviously, you know, we were talking about the likes of Wallace and Albin Ekdal, but the ones that really stood out, as we mentioned last week, were Andre Han and Bobby Wood, who really sort of did their business this week, as well as Lewis Holtby, who obviously has, has, I think, gone under the radar a little bit, given his his sort of torrid time back at back at Spurs. He was one of those sort of Premier League rejects. But uh, I think, you know, he's, he's really found his feet uh, at Hamburg. And yeah, I, I can see this continuing as long as the, those sorts of players, you know, keep putting in performances they're doing. And obviously for Cologne, they've just been drawn alongside Arsenal, Bert Borisov and Red Star Belgrade in the Europa League. Yep. After their defeat on Friday, Peter Stroger criticised his players for not being clinical enough. Do they have enough goals in that team with Dan, without Anthony Modeste to keep him in the top top half this season? Well, you know, again, as, as we as we sort of touched on last week, they could they look a different side without uh, Anthony Modeste in in a bad way because uh, you know they're they're missing that attacking sort of focal point really. And um, if they if they keep up this this level of you know profligacy in front of goal, then yeah, absolutely they're going to struggle to keep to keep their top half status. Because as I said, I think that. You know, uh, Jon Cordoba is is not the same player as Modeste is. He's not that player that will go out front, hold up the ball, and bring other players into play. He's he's not got that sort of ability to be their main apex in attack. So I think they they could well struggle. Yeah. And the team that we did praise on match day one was obviously Bushy Munch and Gladbach, who led twice against Augsburg through Dennis Zakaria and Oscar Vent on Saturday. An equaliser in the 89th minute from Sergio Cordova and Manuel Baum, his first point of the season. How do you rate Glad's back performance? Yeah, I thought. I mean, first off, it was a, I thought it was a cracking, uh, really sort of frenetic game, which uh, it was a lot of fun for the neutrals. Obviously, we were discussing last week how important it was for Gladback to keep their attacking players fit and healthy. You know, that sort of uh, trio we were speaking about of, of Raphael and, and Hazard and Stindl. But I think this this match really showed. Their goals can come from all over the park. You know, we had goals from Went and then Zachariah, who, you know, not necessarily archetypal goal scorers for for Gladbach, but you know they did it. They, they, they will have been, I think, very very disappointed to concede a league equaliser so so late on. But I think it just looks like a slip up as opposed to a, a trend, which will hopefully be good news for Dieter Hecking. But yeah, overall, I thought another certainly competent display from Gladbach, and I think without that equaliser, there'd, there'd be no real complaints at all, to be honest. And like Bushy Munch and Gladbach, Bayer Leverkusen also led twice against Hoffenheim on Saturday, but failing to hold their lead. 
Fendel's penalty had been cancelled out by Andre Kramaric's second goal of the season before Karim Bellarabi put the horse back in the lead. Marku's performance against Liverpool earned him his starting place on Saturday, while the German repaid the faith shown in, shown in him by Julian Nagelsmann with a goal 20 minutes from time to share the points. With obviously Javier Hernandez joining West Ham United, how important now is it that Leverkusen go out and land someone like replace Lucas Alario? Uh, the, the midweek game between Hoffenheim and Liverpool more or less confirmed that Nagelsmann's side are susceptible to collapse. So I think the Leverkusen would have been licking their lips given the amount of chances they created against uh, Bayern Munich last Friday. You know, again, they were dominant in possession, had the vast majority of chances, um, and it still wasn't enough. So I think it, it does look like they've signed, as you say, um, Lucas Alario from River Platte. Going to be honest, not seen much of him, but at least it is someone to get on the end of what the likes of Bellarabi and, and Kevin Campbell are creating, because they need someone who's actually going to be there in the right positions to to put the ball in. I think it's you know they're desperately missing Javier Hernandez, and I think that you know getting Alario in, I think should be at least you know a start in developing that clinical uh, attacking nature they've been they've been known for in previous previous seasons. And just quickly to try and Julian Brandt, just how important is it for Leverkusen to keep hold of him? Um, it's hugely important. You know, he's their main sort of creative outlet. Um, he's probably the most promising player they've got on the books right now, um, for my, my money. And uh, I think they will keep him because I think that Bayern look as if they're pretty stacked up, you know, in that, in that sort of attacking midfield and, and wide roles. So I think he, they were the only team that were, you know, going after him, really. And I think that he should, all being well, stay at Leverkusen for this season at least. And moving on to what I thought was a pretty drab affair next was Eintracht Frankfurt and Wolfsburg. The away side obviously got single for goal from Daniel Di Davi. But what I want to know is what's happened to Yunus Mali? Because obviously he arrived from Mainz with a lot of expect- expectation, but ultimately, ultimately he hasn't lived up to it, has he? No, I know what you mean. Um, he was he was so, so important for Mainz last season. So, you know, you imagined that a move to Wolfsburg would, would kind of sort of put him on the map in, in a way, but no, you, you, you're quite right. He's not lived up to it thus far. I guess the one thing we've got to remember is that it's still very early days in the season and he's still sort of bedding himself into the club. You know, ultimately, gone going missing in games sort of by October, November time, then that's probably a different conversation. But, you know, now it, it, I don't think it's necessarily a major, major cause for concern for Wolfsburg right now. You know, I guess we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? And moving on to a newly promoted size, side next... Stuttgart made amends for their opening day defeat against Hertha with a 1-0 win against Mainz, who you know have yet to pick up a point this season. Former Bayern Munich defender Holger Badstuber scored his first goal in nearly eight years on his debut for Stuttgart. Bearing in mind he says fit, what sort of impact can he have on this young Stuttgart team? You know, he's a, he's a fabulous and, and he's a classy player, so it's lovely to see him back and amongst the goals and just, just playing in general, really. Obviously, as, as we've you know, sort of touched upon. He's had a hot. He's had a torrid time with injury, so naturally, it's going to be nigh on impossible for him to replicate precisely what made him such an exciting prospect at Bayern in the first place. Um, but if he does manage to stay fit, and you know, he does manage to put a string of games together, um, then for Stuttgart to have such an experienced player among their among the ranks, then it'll be maybe just add that sort of calmness and tranquility at the back. Whereas, you know, some newly promoted sides are prone to sort of panicking whereas I think with Badge Stuber in the side that would kind of negate that so I think you know he'll be he'll be hugely important yeah if he stays fit and it's also worth noting that Mainz 
become the first club to lose both their opening opening games against promoted sides. The record that they won't want. Have you seen anything from them that stands out? You're quite right that it's, it's a horrible record to have, and I think this game for me represented more of a worry than their openers. You know, for instance, there it was a kind of a smash and grab loss against Hanover. You know, they were, they were kind of on top, and it was just that one goal, and that won't have been as worrying as this because this wasn't as frustrating a game. It was more of an equal affair. Um, it looked a lot easier for, for Stuttgart, um, or certainly much easier than it should have been. So I think we haven't seen much from from either game, and I think no goals. Obviously, conceding a lot of chances to new promoted sides, I think it's really concerning for Mines, even at this early stage, that they can't get results against these these sorts of teams that they would be expecting and uh, hoping to get you know get points against. And moving on to the reigning champions next. Bayern Munich picked up three points against Werder Bremen, but Alex- Alexander Nuri's Bremen didn't really make it that easy, did they? No, I mean, you know, I thought Bremen were were pretty solid. Obviously, when you're hosting Bayern Munich, it's always a, a huge challenge, but I thought they stood up to it pretty well in general. And I think in the end, it was just that that little bit of class and quality that Lewandowski brings that, that did put Bayern through. But ultimately, you know, again, as we were saying last week, Bayern don't necessarily look as fluid or dominant as perhaps they would hope I think it's clear that their their focus is going to be on the Champions League you know it naturally would be with Frangelotti so I think that you know if we're seeing a more vulnerable Bayern it, it's probably a good news for the league in general how competitive it can be this season and we touched on it last podcast about if Robin, Robert Lewandowski does get injured where did the goals come from but given that Thomas Muller has said that he doesn't feel in demand under Carlo Ancelotti is it important that he remains at Bayern or where do you see his future? Yeah, I, I think um, I think he will be at Bayern. I think it, it it wasn't necessarily like a come and get me plea at all. I think it was purely, you know, he doesn't feel as integral as he perhaps once was. But, you know, without any sort of backup for Lewandowski, the demand for him is still there, whether he thinks it or not. Also, the window is, you know, it's kind of winding down now. And while it could get really, really busy, the big clubs tend generally will tend to sort of shut up shop and say we're going to keep the players we've got and then we're going to add here and there but overall they'll try and keep their their sort of high profile players um you know unless you're Arsenal of course apparently and um I think you know Muller leaving for leaving Bayern for anyone would be, would be quite a shock um at this stage so you know I think he's, he's it's fair that he's got grievances but I'm not sure they're going to be you know important enough to, to take him away from Bayern Munich no, no chance of him joining Dortmund then with their stack of money that they've got now no, I wouldn't have thought so, no. <laughs> On Saturday evening, of course, Bushy Dortmund continued their impressive football under new head coach Peter Bosch with a 2-0 win against Hertha Berlin at the Westfalen Stadium. Mon Dembele's transfer later, but how did they perform without the Frenchman? I thought they looked, they looked really good again. That that four-three-three seems to be working wonders. It's also nice to see with Bosch sticking again with, with his players at this stage. You know, I think they were unchanged or made very very few changes. I think it, it shows he's got a clear plan and it's working for him. You know, Obviously, you said more on Dembele later, but I, it, looking at the Dortmund side now and what they're doing, it makes me sort of think that Bosch took a look at the situation early on and sort of said, right, you know, this is going to be a huge distraction to the side, so let's get on with planning for life without Dembele. Um, and I think it's paying dividends down because they're, they're a really sort of well-oiled, well-functioning unit from, from what I can see. And obviously, Aubameyang has been linked with a move away in the past, but it now looks like he's staying. Is there a striker in modern-day football that is more clinical inside the penalty area? Um, I mean, he's certainly up there, isn't he? There's, there aren't many that can do what he does. If you look at the other players in world football, you'd probably say there are a select few, uh, maybe you know Lewandowski or Luis Suarez or 
or Harry Kane that are on his level in terms of converting chances. But also I think what's good about Aubameyang and the rest of those players I just mentioned is that they won't just put away the easy chances. They can snap up the half chances and those are the things that could really, you know, win you games and win you titles because, you know, it's a, it's a certain type of quality required to put away the odd half chance. I think those players I mentioned along with Aubameyang are the ones that can really do that. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's without doubt one of the one of the best and one of the most clinical strikers in uh, football right now. Just to quickly touch on man of, the, man of the match in that game, last season saw Nui Sahin played by injuries under Thomas Tuchel, but how important of a role does he now play under Bosch? He looks hugely important to that system. You know, part of that three-man midfield with the other players sort of running on in front of him, he seems to have been earmarked to, as the player to keep Dortmund ticking over, like sort of the metronome, I suppose, which is pretty much exactly how he should have been used his entire career. So, you know, it's, it's really nice to see him playing again uh, in that role, um, especially, you know, like you said, after his career was played with injury a little bit and um, it went a little bit wayward, didn't it, during his time at Madrid and Liverpool. So, yeah, it's, it's really good to see him such, as, as such an integral part of Peter Bosch's new Dortmund setup. Uh, I think he's being used in the exactly right way. And just finally, on that game, how do you rate Hertha's performance at the weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's, it was, it's always tricky, obviously, at, uh, at the Sydney Lab Dinner Park. Um, I mean, I thought they were, they were completely played off it by Dortmund. Um, they weren't ever really given a sniff for my, my money, but I think they shouldn't necessarily worry too much yet because they won't be the only team to be swept away at the West Fallon Stadium this season, and I think there'll be, there'll be many more who struggle there. So it's not a huge concern, uh, in my opinion, to, to Hertha Berlin just yet. And moving on to the early kickoff on Sunday now, RB Leipzig were looking to make amends for their opening day defeat to Schalke, dominating play and creating the most chances. However, Freiburg took the lead against the run-off play through Florian Niederlechner. But Ralph Hasenhurtl, he came out at half-time, he must have said something because in the second half they came out guns blazing. Timo Werner got off the map for the season with a header three minutes into the second half before Willie Auburn added his second. In control from there on, Werner added his second of the game before an early contender for a goal of the season from Bruma, which who scored Leipzig's fourth. Now, was their performance on Sunday similar similar to that of last season that earned them plaudits? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly the second half they looked, you know, back to their back to their brilliant best, really. Although I think that this this result was more or less uh, mitigated by the fact that they seems to absolutely love playing Freiburg. Um, I think it's the third time in a row they've scored four against them, stretching back into last season, so this wasn't exactly necessarily a shock. After we discussed whether it would be a one-off um, or whether it would be a trend for Leipzig to get sort of found out, as they did last week against Schalke, I think that the you're quite right. The way they came out in that second half, I think Hassel Hassenhüttl must have said, you know, you know, we're, we're better than this. We've shown what we can do last season. Why are we not showing it now? And they absolutely blew Freiburg away in the second half, so I think it's Certainly good omens from, from here on in. And obviously they're going to be playing in the Champions League this season. On Thursday, they were drawn against Monaco, Porto and Big Ziktas. How do you see them doing in European competition? I mean, it's certainly a tricky, tricky group, isn't it? Especially for first-timers. But, um, you know, again, I think if they attack the Champions League with the same vigour that they used in the Bundesliga last season, then, you know, nothing is quite out of the question. Um, we know they can spring a surprise, so it should be pretty interesting to see what they can do. And moving on to the final game of match day, two now. Hanover made it two wins from two with a 1-0 win over Schalke. Summer arrival, Jonatas looked very impressive and bullish on his debut. But just how well will Hanover do this season? You know, second 1-0 of the season. I think 
with Hanover, you've got to be the epitome of you know cautious optimism because they are, they're back after the their promotion and, and stability seems to be the name of the game for them. You know, again, while their first game was a bit of a smash and grab with more of an emphasis on defensive shape, this one representing more of them going toe to toe with the higher caliber opponents. So I think they can be really happy with themselves with the way they applied themselves against Schalke. Um, it's all about sort of being gutsy and robust when you come back into the league, and I think that's what they're, exactly what they're doing. And Schalke, of course, looks reminiscent of their performances from last season. Is it difficult to pinpoint where just where the problems are? I think I think this time against against Hanover, they they sort of left the handbrake on a bit. I mean, I think last week against Leipzig, there was a very clear plan that they were going to come out and come after Ralph Hassel and put inside. But they didn't really seem to have a strategy this week for you know a newly promoted team who were going to sit off. And yeah, I think they, they really struggled with with that sort of standoffishness. I think maybe they're they're after a striker who can um, break the line somewhat and get and get you know on the last shoulder of the defenders as opposed to um, DeSanto, who appears you know to be quite limited in that regard. So I think it could well be they might need a couple more options up front or maybe just one to rotate. Or, you know, maybe finding that sort of cliched plan B striker to help them get past defences like this. Because, you know, like we said last last week, the way they applied themselves against Leipzig was really, really impressive. And we just didn't see any of that this week. And moving on to the next segment now of this podcast, we discuss Ousmane's, Ousmane Dembele's move to Spanish giants Barcelona. In just two years, the Frenchman has gone from making his debut at Rennes to joining Barcelona for €105 million, Euros, plus another €40 million in future incentives. Just how impressive is this meteor- meteoric rise? Yeah, I mean he's a, he's an incredibly impressive player, um, and it's you know he's a really really tricky winger, good finisher. Um, he's come a long long way, as you say, but I think it's more down to the sort of current insanity really in the in the market that makes him out to be more than he actually is. I think that you know while he's a fantastic player, the exponential uh, increasing of fees that has seen him go for this much is not necessarily his actual talent speaking for itself per se you know Dorman are getting getting on just fine without him from what we've seen so far I think they'll continue to do so but that 100 million plus euros is is frankly and again it's, it's nuts for a player who's who's only had one season properly in, in the limelight you know Barcelona have got the money you know if they see something really really special in Dembele then why not spend that sort of money you know there's there's evidence there's more evidence, evidence to say that he'll turn into a really really great player than evidence to say he won't so, yeah, I, I think overall it's probably a good deal, a better, better deal for Dortmund. But, you know, if he carries on in the same way that Neymar did at Barcelona, then they could have made, you know, quite quite the outstanding investment, really. And obviously in just 50 games for Dortmund, he did score 10 goals and create 22 goals. You touched on about Dortmund missing him there, but perhaps even more so will Aubameyang miss him, given how many, just how many goals uh, Dembele created for him? Yeah, I think you know that they struck up quite a um, quite a partnership, and uh, I think they they probably will miss him in that regard. You know, just just purely to feed Aubameyang. But it's not as if Dortmund are short of creative players, is it? I mean, they've got Christian Pulisic, they've got Maximilian Philip, who's been playing well in the last couple of games. Uh, Mario Gertz is back, of course, and obviously I'm sure we'll touch on it in a little in a couple of minutes. But they've just signed Yarmolenko, so I think that in terms of feeding Aubameyang as their main sort of focal point in the attack. They've got players who can replicate what Dembele was doing. Like I said, there's been nothing in the first two games that shows us we you know we can't expect that from Dortmund. I think they've 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 applied themselves really, really well. There's it they've got every chance of, you know, moving on from this Dembele 
speculation and, and coming out the side better. Yeah, obviously you touch on it there that Dortmund have signed Yamalenko. That's a four-year deal, a uh, €25 million Euro fee. He's a very experienced uh, international winger who plays on the right but can also play on the left. Just how do you see him fitting into this Dortmund team? Yeah, I mean, firstly, what I want to say is I think that it's an incredibly reasonable price for who he is. You know, as you say, he comes with a wealth of experience, the ability to play on anywhere on, on, that, on that forward line, um, but particularly the right. And, you know, he's a very reliable right-wing player who could step into um, Dembele's shoes. Obviously, you know, he's left. Um, equally, you could step into Bamiang's shoes if he gets injured. So I think it's a really canny move, and especially for, I think it's something like 25 million euros, which is, you know, given the prices we're currently seeing, it's pretty much nothing. Also, I think a good move for Yarmolenko himself, who will probably be, de- be delighted, because I think he's been itching for a uh, a big move to a big European club for, a, well, seemingly his entire career. So I think, um, you know, it's especially good for him. Um, I think that'll probably be a good fit. And obviously they've been linked with uh, Bordos Malcolm in the past as well since that Dembele move. Do you see any other move materialising or do you think they'll keep their money until January or even put it away for next summer? I mean, I've not seen a huge number of concrete links. You know, I think Jeremy Tolian remains on the radar. Um, also, there's been interest in uh, in in Casper Dolberg from Ajax, but I think he seems to have nailed his colours to the mast and said he's not he's not for sale. Certainly this summer, there was some some stuff in the Express and the Sun today about Mesut Özil going there. I can't really see that happening. Although you know the way Arsenal are going on, you never know. But um, I think that uh, in general, it would probably be wise for Dortmund to keep their powder dry for the time being. Um, especially after signing Yarmolenko. And, and then it, again, as I said last week, if in January it gets to the point where they're missing something, that'll be the time to address it. Um, but for now, I think they're, they're going pretty well. Do you think at all Dortmund have any chance of landing Julian Draxler from PSG? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the Neymar move has sort of put, you know, it's blown all sort of prospects for Draxler at PSG out of the water. So, I mean, your guess is as good as mine where he ends up, because I think he will probably have to move before the end of the transfer window to you know get any playing time this season I think if he went to Dortmund that would only strengthen them because you know he obviously knows the league and he's also very versatile he, he could also play in any of those positions behind Aubameyang um, equally I could see him going to a Premier League club with a lot of money but you know I, I don't think it would be necessarily that difficult for, for Dortmund to push through a move because they, now they've got the money and with Dembele going they've probably got the squad space for him as well so it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me at all. Especially with the World Cup just around the corner, everyone is obviously looking for that playing time for now. But in other breaking news that will perhaps excite some Liverpool fans is that they've agreed a fee to sign RB Leipzig, RB Leipzig's Naby Keita next summer. Just how much of an impact will he have at Liverpool and is it a good deal for both parties in today's market? Um, well, firstly, in terms of the impact he'll have, I think um, he'll be absolutely fantastic, I think. There's a lot of people comparing him to a sort of Angolo Kante player. I don't think he's that at all. I think he's a lot more attacking, you know, a lot better in terms of, you know, going forward. He's a true box-to-box player. You know, he can really take people on. I think he's probably more akin to someone like, you know, a, a Lalana or maybe a, a Jorginho Wijnaldum in the way he sort of can, you know, drift past players and then get high at the field. So I think he's going to offer a, a huge amount of energy to that that midfield of Liverpool's now. You know, it's not as if they need it because they've obviously got a hugely increased work rate due to you know the nature of Klopp's coaching. But I think that under Klopp, Cater could add something really special um, next season 
In terms of whether it's a good deal, I think it's a, a pretty great deal for both sides because it means that Leipzig can have that sort of transitional phase where they're, you know, they can prepare for his departure. Um, Cater will not be, you know, sulking or grumpy. He'll, he'll know there's a move for him at the end of the season, which means he can concentrate putting everything into his performances for Leipzig this season. And uh, Liverpool know that, you know, if they do run into trouble in the midfield this season, then they've got a quick fix coming next summer. So I think that, you know, in terms of all sides, they've all got a pretty good deal from that. And just for those of you that are wondering, build our partner fee to be around 65 million euros with a further 10 million in performance-related bonuses. But on that note, you know, I think we're going to leave it there because I'm sure we could talk about these deals all night. <laughs> for any of you listeners, Matt, tell us where we can find you on Twitter. And if there's anything you would like to plug, you know, go ahead. Um, so on Twitter, you can find me at, at Matt Cardock. And then uh, if you haven't already, I'd urge you to check out the uh, the GGFN uh, Bundesliga handbook. It'll tell you everything you need to know about all the uh, all the teams this season. Um, there's a couple of bits from me in there. I know Daniel's worked very hard on that. So, um, yeah, if you get a chance, give that a little read. And also you can find Get German Football News on Twitter at GGFN underscore, wherever you hit 10.7k followers. And also don't forget to keep an eye on at World Football Eye for all the latest podcasts around the world. And also make sure that you subscribe to their iTunes feed. As always, I've been your host, Daniel Pinder. Make sure to join us next time for more talk on German football on the World Football Index. Bye.